welcome to Law Enforcement Today, the podcast. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. I'm a radio broadcaster and also retired Baltimore police sergeant. In every Law Enforcement Today podcast, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Be sure to check out our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and please take the time to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. This episode of Law Enforcement Today brought to you by Galls.com. We're thrilled to have them on board, sponsoring episodes of our podcast and radio show, sponsoring our app, lots Everything, of great things. Everything, Jay. And, and you know me, my big feeling is, is support those who support law enforcement, and Galls has stepped up to the plate. They're supporting us. And we need to support them. And they've been in business for 50 years. 50 years serving first responders and law enforcement community. They're industry leaders. They've got a huge online catalog. Everything you could ever want. You know, you always uh, hear about the word galls. Uh, We spoke about this years ago. I was ordering from them at a catalog and didn't even know who they are. And now we know who they are. And again, like you said, 50 years in business. Goals.com. Check them out. Their catalog is spectacular. Everything for even like a retired guy like me to active guy like Robert. Men, women, they've got everything you could ever need between tactical gear, clothing, footwear, badges, handcuff keys. they got everything. Also, be sure to check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Welcome to a rainy afternoon in South Florida. I'm Jay Wiley. Joining me is... Robert Greenberg in Studio Jay. I just want you to know, uh, it was like the monsters out there with the lightning rods. I was dodging and weaving, making my way into the station this morning. It's a, a South Florida phenomenon in the summertime. What happens is it could be beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Five minutes later, torrential downpours, lightning, wind, uh, the whole nine yards, and then 10 minutes later, sunny again. Beautiful out. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully we... Uh, uh, it'll be beautiful out by the time we leave the station. It was bumping up a, a, a big storm, no pun intended. Joining us on the phone from Maryland, Chuck Schneider, actually, real name Charles Schneider, retired Baltimore City Police Sergeant. Chuck, how are you? I'm great, Jay. Robert, how you guys doing? Doing really good, Chuck. Thank uh, thank you again for joining us. I'm so glad you're joining us on the show. Uh, i got to give a little bit of history so people realize I do know you. We know each other. We were Academy classmates back in the Baltimore Police Academy, uh, Class 80-9. And Chuck is a Marine veteran. You Were, were you a drill sergeant? No, I never got that far. Okay. I was a, I was actually a weapons and tactical instructor my last couple of years in the Marine Corps out of Camp Pendleton, though. But you, he was a squared away guy. I mean, razor sharp creases in his uniform the whole nine yards. And I always tell the story. Part of what we had to do is go through a room that they set off uh, tear gas in. So we would learn how to use the gas masks that they work and what it's like to have the effect of the tear gas on you. And it was no lights on. And we had our gas mask on and we had our hand in front of the person in front of us. Chuck was in front of me. And he's done this hundreds of times. I didn't realize this. So what we're supposed to do is take off our mask in all this thick gray smoke with the the tear gas, say your name, your sequence number, and then leave. And what he did is he ripped off his mask, took a deep breath, and gave his name, his date of birth, his sequence number of the police department, his social security number, his date of exit from Marine Corps. And they're like, get out of here, smart Alex. Show off, huh? I like it. So I'm thinking, this is going to be a piece of cake. I rip off my mask, take a, take a deep breath, and all I got is... <laughs> I'm 
<laughs> I didn't realize Chuck had been eating gas for years. <laughs> He's a gassy guy, is he what was, you're saying. He was a gassy guy. Chuck, so uh, we didn't work together. We were in academy together. You did an entire career in Baltimore Police Department. You retired, and you're involved with a group called Blue Valor Foundation in Maryland. Tell us briefly what Blue Valor Foundation's all about. Well, the Blue Valor Foundation was founded by a couple of guys that Jason worked, periodically worked with in Baltimore County Police Department. Sergeant T.J. Stenson and John Cosby, that were uh, both assigned to the range during the time that Jason uh, was assigned to the uh, SWAT team. Jason was also a, a certified firearms instructor and was the uh, one of the lead instructors for the uh, sniper schools that the county would run. So he had a lot of contact with T.J. and John. And uh, shortly after Jason's death, those two guys got together and decided to form a foundation to support the education of the children of fallen officers throughout the state of Maryland, those that were left behind after, after tragedy like uh, Jason's occurs. And Jason is your son, Jason Schneider, and we will talk about yep. him in a moment. Blue Valor Foundation, that's also a website people can make donations online? Oh, yeah, certainly. It's online. All you got to do is punch up, just Google Blue Valor Foundation. Uh, you'll get a couple of sites there and uh, in a direct line and phone numbers also. You guys do things like a big golf tournament every year, lots of sports celebrities, Brooks Robinson, some Ravens, and other people go. And you just had an event not that long ago, uh, it was like a night out in Charles Village or something of that nature? Sure. The foundation has attracted a lot of sponsors, corporations, and uh, small business uh, owners. And the uh, the golf event, which uh, it just fills up every year uh, with uh, not only celebrities, but the people are... You know, people that are interested in uh, in wanting to um, to donate, wanting to be a part of the foundation, and they also find themselves uh, out on the golf course, golf course having a great day. So uh, it works for everybody, and it does support uh, again the uh, numerous programs that the foundation supports, along with the uh, education, uh, scholarships, and whatnot for uh, the children of fallen officers. And in addition to that, again, they had uh, they had just had a recent event at, at Charles Village Pub in uh, Patio up in Towson. Uh, it was a great event, a lot of great people there. Uh, we had a good time, a lot of food, uh, consumed some alcoholic beverage, uh, a little more than we should have, uh, some of us anyways. Uh, but we had a great time doing it. And uh, again, it's for a great cause. So you've mentioned a couple times, Jason, just for... Yep. The sake of Robert and people are listening. I was I'm a radio DJ. That's my second job. That's retiring from Baltimore Police Department. I eventually pursued a career in radio. And about four years ago, I was working at a classic rock station doing afternoon drive, about an hour and a half southeast of Washington, DC. And I heard reports that a Baltimore County police officer had been killed in a line of duty. And his last mm-hmm. name was Schneider, and I went, nah, can't be. And so I went online and looked at the news and showed a photo. And the photo was a guy who was a spitting image of you. And I knew immediately that this was your son, Jason. And that yep. the last time I'd seen Jason's when we graduated from the academy. And he must have been, what, maybe eight or nine then? Young boy. Well, I think Jason at the time was actually about five, four and a half going on five. Just to, to add a little bit to that story, uh, uh, him and his brother, Ken, uh, they were 18 months apart, both born in California when I was in the Marine Corps. And, you know, 
Jason being the firstborn, you know, that, that, that's a special, a special thing in and of itself. But he, he, you could tell right away from, from almost the time he started walking that, uh, that the path that he was going to follow, it was, it was very clear. And people throughout his, his young life, while he was going to school, uh, high school in particular, teacher uh, conveyed at one point after his death that when he was in the ninth grade, there was no doubt in his mind the path that Jason was going to take. He, he knew that he was going to first go in the military, as I did, and that he was going to uh, get into law enforcement. You just knew. It, it, it was very clear. He was also a Marine, too, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He uh, served in the Marine Corps uh, right out of high school. He uh, served up at Washington D.C. first, and then he went to the uh, went to Camp David. He served up at Camp David, and then he uh, joined was in the 26th MEU, and they went out to uh, to uh, do what they had to do. We had to do in Kosovo, so he had uh, quite of a experience there over his four years in the Marine Corps. Chuck, what was the incident surrounding the tragic loss of your son, Jason? Well, Jason was uh, joined the Baltimore County Police Department in 2000. He spent three years in patrol. And, you know, as with any uh, aid, law enforcement agency, and both, both you gentlemen are familiar with how this process goes, people, uh, a lot of people want to do, uh, want to fly helicopters, just like, you know, hey, my grandmother wants to fly a jet kind of thing. Right. But, but, but not everybody really has that ability. Jason was identified early on by several members of the uh, SWAT team as, as a potential candidate, and he showed an interest in it. And uh, he transferred there after three years in patrol and worked his way through the process. He was a firm believer, as I always have been, and I'm sure both of you gentlemen are, that you pay your dues and uh, you earn what you get. And, and through your skill and, and knowledge and ability, you end up where you end up, whether you be a homicide uh, investigator or you end up on the SWAT team. Jason went uh, to the, join the SWAT team, had, had, had joined the police department with, with a high proficiency uh, in, with firearms. Uh, he, he could outshoot me, and, and I think I was okay at it, uh, but he could outshoot me uh, any day of the week. He worked his way into the position where he became the a lead sniper on the team. He was also uh, the primary instructor for several schools that the Baltimore County Police Department sponsored. Uh, I got a letter, as a matter of fact, from the Capitol Police uh, when they sent me the flag that flew over the Capitol the, the day Jason was killed that uh, the gentleman there at, in the Capitol Police noted uh, in his letter that Jason had trained six out of the seven snipers for the uh, Capitol Police Department, which is, uh, to me, is significant because those those guys there, guys and girls there, uh, they want training. They can go anywhere they want, anywhere almost in the world, and get the best that they can get. And they just happen to go to Baltimore County and get it from him. That's uh, notable. What a great gesture from uh, the Capitol Police to send you that flag. Yeah. Yep. Um, can yep. you give us the specifics on actually what happened? Well, that, that uh, Jason, has, as I said, had worked his way through through the SWAT team in, in, in the different positions and mastered mo- just about everything in there, uh, uh, different all the, the various tasks, and he found himself as the lead on the uh, on the SWAT team. They had two groups, the sort of like an A and a B team. Right. Um, J- Jason was the lead on in the one squad. In other words, the first guy in the door. And, uh, you know, as you know, uh, being familiar with it in law enforcement, first 
person in the door, guy or whoever it is, that is the most critical individual. That's the person that makes those split-second decisions, does the assessment, determines where the highest and strongest threat is, is coming from, and then everyone else takes the lead off of that. He went in with a cover man. As soon as he hit the door, went in through the front door, there was an individual on a couch in the living room. He got up and started to run. Jason pursued him to the rear, to the kitchen area, where he used a body bunker to control him and get him down on the floor. As he was doing that, his cover man got held up at the stairwell as somebody was uh, at the top of the stairwell and momentarily lost sight of him behind a small kitchen wall. And just behind that wall, another individual stepped out of a small room and stood over the, literally over the top of him, shot him four times in the back, uh, red fire, obviously. Shot him the first time. The first wound was fatal. That went in below the vest. As Jason was bending down, that round managed to get in just around above the belt line, struck his abdominal aorta, and Jason immediately started to bleed out. However, the individual uh, took another step forward, fired four more times, struck him in the upper left shoulder. That area, because the vest had ridden up, protected him from, from those bullets entering entering his body, uh, but he did... You know, there was severe bruising in that area, so it was close in and heavy impact. Jason, after the first round, the other following three were being fired. He uh, literally laying on his back and on top of the first suspect, who was armed, by the way, uh, with a handgun, turned to his assailant, which was only several feet above him, and the exchange of gunfire continued. So Jason, before he passed out from blood loss, uh, once again, because that abdominal aorta is the main artery that flows of the blood flow to the bottom of the, the torso and the legs. That, as that was happening, he fired seven rounds, and that individual uh, ended up dying some 10 hours later. Jason ended up passing away uh, after that uh, exchange of gunfire within just a few minutes because of a massive loss of blood. Unfortunately, uh, as they say uh, in some circles, that no matter what you do to prepare for uh, all the possibilities, there's always a, a possibility that uh, that we just are unable sometimes to prepare for or foresee, right. and that's uh, he kind of fell into that category. No matter how good you are, you, you, there's always freak things that happen. It just how, yeah. how old was Jason uh, when he was yep. killed? Yeah, he was 36 years old. Uh, he left behind a, a, a beautiful wife, fantastic person, and a stepdaughter. Um, who he dearly loved, and and his, his son, Brandon, and the daughter was uh, his name is Kaylin. She's who's going to start her first year in college this year, and Brandon is starting his first year in high school this year. I posted a photo with Brandon and some of the SWAT team members from Jason's team at uh, something he did, some school event on Law Enforcement Today Facebook page not that long ago, and it was widely uh, well received. People love to see that. So. Th- the the officers, the police department, still actively involved in, in your family's life. Yes, yes. The SWAT team in particular uh, has been exceptional. They've uh, they've taken Brandon and Kayla, but uh, really a lot of focus has been on Brandon because you know when this happened, Brandon was ten years old, right. and and he was last Jason was. And, and Jason's brother Ken was to me. Uh, those guys were attached at the hip. So uh, wherever Jason went, Brandon went along with him uh, wherever possible. Jason also used to give these uh, show and tells, as as both you guys know. uh, Please do that a lot uh, uh, with the community. We love to educate. We love to tell people what we do and how we do it, and we like to show them our toys. 
But so Jason used Brandon too. He used to take Brandon on these uh, show and tells, and Brandon could literally go through the truck, the SWAT vehicles, and and Jason could tell him, "Hey, Brandon, uh, go go get me the this or the that or that tool or this this uh, item." And Brandon will pull it out, and he could tell you what it does and how it operates. So uh, they they were very very close, extremely close, and it was very devastating uh, for Brandon to experience that uh, that loss of his father. But the SWAT team, those guys, you know, uh, uh, they they have been exceptional. There's a, and, and a couple in particular that have, have uh, tried the best they can, as anyone could, uh, to fill in the gap, and they've, they've just been fantastic. You know, I'm hearing all the positive uh, feedback that you're getting from the law enforcement family, and that's awesome. I've always struggled with how a loved one, in your in your case, as a father, how the heck did you deal with this? Well, you know, to be honest with you, it it, it isn't. You never go from point A to point to, to from point A to Z. It isn't a, a, a it isn't like covering ground. Um, you can go from one end to the other, the beginning to the end. There is no end, uh, and that that in itself uh, presents a challenge. Initially, and this is the analogy that I use, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. When you suffer a traumatic experience, that the trauma is so horrific, uh, it is not unlike. If you can imagine standing on a two-story building and doing a belly smacker down down onto the, the hard cement, it may not kill you, but you will initially be so stunned you will feel nothing, and you really you really uh, only begin to feel sensation after you've laid there for a few minutes and and start to realize what's happened. Then the pain starts. Then you realize what doesn't no, what does no longer works, and so it's it's that experience mentally is is very similar to that. It, you've been traumatized. The body has been traumatized to such a point where you are incapable of helping yourself. You're incapable of helping anyone around you. For me, uh, for my wife, the challenge is is to to work through it to seek the help that we can from the outside because at, at the very beginning and, and the process can last for years it's difficult at best to help one another there's a lot of guilt there's a lot of uh, not only a sense of loss in general but a lot of guilt what I could have done what I should have done um, there's a lot of anger and hostility that, that, that comes out a lot of emotion that, you have, that somehow has to be dealt with it, you can't ignore it it doesn't go away it just it may take a different form, but it doesn't dissipate. It dulls over time and only uh, in a certain way. Um, it, you're all allowed to go through the motions of the daily routine uh, because there are distractions. And you eventually, I got there where I I I was able to because of those distractions function enough to to eat to sleep and to uh, communicate and deal with the world around me. Um, but the, it, it is an ex, extreme challenge. Um, I would caution people that, that experience any sort of uh, experience like this or loss, that there are things that work initially, but they're not good for the long term. Obviously, you know, when I talk about that, I'm talking about alcohol, drugs, other things that, that, that make you feel good for the moment, but 
they are destructive in the in the long run. Those are the dangers. So it, it really, it, you know, yeah, I have to look at it, and I try to look at it that that I have responsibilities, and then I have had asked myself numerous times, what would Jason do? And and I know what he would have done because of the character and the kind of person that he was. He would, uh, and I hate to use this term because it sounds crude and rough, but you got to suck it up sometimes, and you just have to put one foot in front of the other, and you have to swallow that food, and you have to go to sleep because you have to function because there are other people in the world that I have, people that, that I care about, that I have to be there for. I can't check out because I'll tell you, if it was just up to me and it, my only concern was me, as a result of that occurring, and Jason leaving abruptly, and that is one of the most difficult things to deal with, is the sudden unexpected loss of, of somebody you love. I would crawl up on a hill in Arizona or Montana, and that's where I'd live the rest of my days. But I can't do that. Because, okay. I, I, you know, there's other people I have to be, think about before I think about myself. Yeah. That's a very unselfish act. For those that, unfortunately, with the l- amount of line-of-duty deaths fluctuating each year but uh it's a guarantee it's going to happen is there anything if you can learn a lesson from this that you can share with somebody or well robert i'll tell you there, there's the you know there's two parts of this number one you you're, you're never prepared you can never prepare here's what happens and i think we you know i discussed this not that long ago with somebody the loss of a child is probably the most difficult and it doesn't matter what the age is because a parent always feels protective you feel like a parent and you're always worried about it. i tell jason hey drive careful and and, right. and they used to call they had number numbers they used to call him mr gadget they used to call him the wheel man i mean jason could drive a car in reverse at 60 miles an hour better than i could most people could forward and any of the people he worked with to tell you that right uh he he would he was a great wheel guy you can never, never really prepare for that. The mind shuts that that thought process down. It's a safe safety mechanism put in place over thousands of years, or some prefer to believe that God God made it that way. That when you try to empathize with other people that suffer this this sort of tragedy, they start to image it in their head and they shut it off because it's some place that nobody wants to go, and uh, that's a, that's good thing. Uh, because we don't want to experience that kind of trauma, even remotely. So the less time spent there, the better. So the preparation, emotional preparation, there there's a limit, a limit to it. There's a ceiling. You only do so much of that, and, and it's just beyond what we can prepare for. Now, in addition to that, is the the physical preparation. Physical preparation is is that okay, guys and girls in law enforcement, you've been thinking about it. Well, you better do it. You better go check the beneficiary form. And I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, um, I could tell you a quick story about, about how things became complicated. But I will just tell you this. Check the beneficiary form. Make sure it's right, it's up to date, and it's on file. And you have a copy of it. And that's number one. That's what you want to do right away. So if, you, if you're thinking about it or you haven't done it, you better go do it. Because you might be surprised, you know, there are a lot, we've heard the stories, and you and I talk, we used to hear them, Jay, and in service, they'd tell you, do it, because guess what? The ex-spouse might just end up with what you thought or assumed your spouse was going to get. Guess right. what? Somebody else in your family might get what you put them down as beneficiary 20 years ago, and you 
your whole life has changed uh, in another direction since then. So that's number one. Good points. And we were talking, we've talked several times uh, since that incident. Number one, and I always say this, and I told you this, I don't know what to say. I'm just calling because sure. I need to say hello and let you know I'm thinking about you and your family and that's that's all I got. There's no words of wisdom, nothing that can make it any better for you and certainly not for people who care about you and your family and Jason. The other thing was, you know, you and I both being in Baltimore Police Department, both of us lived with the thoughts and the realization and the knowledge that th- this could happen to us. It was a very right. violent city, very violent time. And there's a real possibility, although you didn't walk around thinking about it. He's like, I'll be all right because I'm a bad son of a gun and I'm squared away right. and everything else. But right. never in my wildest dreams did I ever think it could happen to one of our sons and daughters. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when you think about that, uh, you do feel confident because you feel confident in your ability. You rely. You feel confident in your training. Your training has been tested over and over and over. You you experience a lot of things. You have equipment uh, that uh, may not necessarily be comfortable, <laughs> as the vest goes and the gun and the bullets and all of the the weight that you carry, especially on a hot summer day. But you expect that those things are in place that they'll function to the degree that they're designed to function and you you just expect that there won't be a failure in, in that department you hope that there's not a failure in your training uh, and that everything kind of works out and plays out but you know that that doesn't always happen as with Jason in his case uh, he had a heavy vest that covered the entire torso multiple layers of uh, Kevlar bulletproof vest and uh, it just so happens that if he would have bent bent down maybe one or two degrees less, that the bullet that was the fatal injury would have caught the Kevlar. And ironically, as I, I inspected the vest afterwards, the bullet struck a piece of material about a quarter to uh, maybe an eighth to a quarter inch below the Kevlar. So that's how freaky these things can happen sometimes. You know, we you can't plan on every every possible scenario, but you do the best you can and hope for the best. And uh, you know, the truth of the matter is, we probably uh, we probably cross death's door in law enforcement once a day for some of us. Some of us once a week, you know, and don't even know it. Law enforcement is no different than any other occupation. We're not in it to get killed or hurt. We're in it to help people, and that's what that's what everybody that is a honest, law-abiding, fair-minded person should realize when they're hearing the rhetoric from one corner versus the other, the real reality. Most ninety-nine point nine percent, and you both, gentlemen, both know this. You enter law enforcement because you want to help people that are in need, that are in trouble. So that's what we do. We go into a lot of situations where there's violence. You know, you, you cannot meet violence with apathy, with kindness, with tenderness. When violence occurs, most of the majority of the time, violence is met with violence because that is the only thing that will stop violence. And, and, and that's the truth of it. And who, who among us will stand up and take watch tonight? 
So somebody does, they raise their hands, I'll stay up and take watch tonight while the rest of you party, while the rest of you go about your lives, uh, and, and you don't have to worry about that predator breaking in your home or assaulting your daughter or your mother or your, or your brother. I'll stand guard. I'll sacrifice. You go have a good time, but I'll, and I'll do this for your sake. Yeah, we yeah, all can relate to that, Chuck. Yep. You, you hit on a couple of topics that brings to mind a question for you. Another question for you talked about wanting to help people and you know, we all get in uh, to law enforcement to help, to make a difference, to do, do a change. Um, how can you help, God forbid, another family that might go through or experience a tragic event like this? Yeah, I, I would say that there, immediate, almost immediately, there are people that will will just come to you. There are, there are people out there in, in organizations that will, will they'll hand you the card, they'll hand you the phone number, and they'll tell you, call me. And, Do you and, want that right away? Do you, how did you handle no. that? Because I could just see not uh, being receptive after going yeah. through something like that. I, I just yeah. can't see I would want to yeah. uh, engage yeah. in that. Yes. Initially, you're absolutely right. Initially, you're going to take the card, you're going to take the phone number. And you put uh, what I did is I put it up, put all those in a in a box. And I knew at some point I may go through that or may need to reference one of those. But initially, what happened with me, and I'm sure it's very similar to others. And just to know, I want people to know out there that ever experienced this, the loss of a child, especially on an unexpected violent death. I want them to know that initially, you don't want to talk to anybody. Again, you've just been you've just gotten body slammed from a two-story building flat on your face, and you're completely numb. People will talk to you, and you won't remember a word. You won't remember may, may, their name. You may remember their face or think, hey, I think I know who that is. No, I saw that. I saw that. I've seen that person before, but you really won't remember because the initial days and weeks and even months following that event, you're literally in shock. So that whole process is, leave, I want to be left alone. I wanted to be, because I, I cry in private. And if and, and I don't know where that's going to lead. You know, the, the tears, the overwhelming, lo the loss of breath, the collapsing, I've done it all. Right. I've, 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 lay, I've laid down on my garage floor. I, I felt I, I was smothered there. I couldn't do that. I went outside, laid in the driveway. Uh, I, I climbed in the back of my pickup truck and, and slept through the night there. Um, I, I, I just had to get away and get, get by myself to to work through those because because I had some I guess somewhere in my mind I had there was some dignity there that uh, um, self-respect that I, I just didn't want that witnessed by the rest of the world uh, maybe with one person in private obviously I did that with my wife and and I did have some moments with uh, a couple of the, the guys that Jason worked with right um, but for the most part you're not going to, you know, the outside world, people that, that, that are not directly connected to it uh, may not understand it, but, you know, you got to leave that person a lot of space and a lot of room and let that eventually evolve into, well, they'll reach out. You've given them the number, you give them your name, you give them the card, and when they're ready, they'll make the call. How long did it take for you to make that call, and, and who was the first person you called, and how did that conversation go? Well... 
I will tell you this. <laughs> I still experience experience this. I'm more. I have it in chronological order in my head. My emotions, the events. Um, I kind of broke it up and compartmentalized everything that occurred, and and I uh, assigned what occurred, how it occurred, uh, responsibility, and all of that. So I'm very clear, and I have I have some great greater insight than most parents or people or husbands or wives would have when their loved one is, is killed in this matter. I, I happen to have, and you know, I don't think it's a big secret. <laughs> Maybe it isn't, but it won't be now. <laughs> but I have almost a complete uh, unedited copy of the homicide folder, and you know how those are. You've you both seen those. They can be several inches thick. So I interviewed, whether the individuals knew they were being interviewed or not, I interviewed numerous individuals that were on the team. I spoke to people that weren't directly on the team or involved, but I spoke to other people uh, in the police department. I spoke to people that were in the police department. So I've got a lot of uh, documentation about about who, what, where, and when, and how. Right. And, uh, and I have it all straight. Uh, what was the nature of the call itself? I, I, don't, I think I might have missed well, that. Well, right. Well, what happened was... There was a, uh, uh, I just, we'll just put it this way, there was, there was a, a, um, a gang, drug dealers, right. uh, that were having a problem with a rival gang of drug dealers, and there was a shootout. Uh, an investigator, uh, a detective went out and he investigated and pinned it down where um, they knew where the shooter lived, or at least was staying for a while. A week later, after that incident occurred, the individual that was a victim of that shooting uh, they had exchange of gunfire, did not die, but was severely injured. The uh, detective wrote a, a search warrant, an arrest warrant for that individual at that at a particular location in Baltimore County. A week later, the SWAT team hits it, and uh, ironically, this is this is how this goes. The weapon that killed Jason was a nine millimeter semi-automatic handgun. The weapon that was in the, the waistband of the individual that Jason was attempting to control in, on the kitchen floor was a 9mm handgun. They were both purchased through a drug deal, Drugs for Guns, down in North Carolina the day before because the house that was hit, those individuals were preparing to defend themselves against the other gang. I believe the intent wasn't, they weren't prepared, they were prepared, but they weren't preparing for law enforcement, they weren't preparing for the other gang to hit the house. Right, gotcha. So they had a plan that was well orchestrated. I believe that the plan was that that one individual runs to the back of the house and the other one ambushes uh, whoever whoever entered the house. The lighting was such, and you know, even though we have police written across our back and our front, you know, when you go into a house like that, um, it, it's it's pretty well understood that that people almost go into a moment of shock themselves, and and that's that works in our favor. That's the element of surprise. That's why we do what we do. These dynamic entries to so catch people before they can react. But if there's a well versed plan by the occupants of the house, that's not necessarily going to happen. You're not going to surprise them because they've kind of worked through this of, of how to deal with it. So I think that's what occurred. To be honest with you. Gotcha. Um, now, one and, of the things. I know that it's very important to you from our prior conversations uh, via Facebook, whatever, is is keeping Jason's memory alive. Tell us yep. how you do that and how you want other people to do that. 
Sure, that's a great question, Jay. I'll tell you. Right now, what we are doing right now is more healing than what I've done in the last six months. Anything I've done in the last six months. But I'll tell you why. Because I'm telling Jason's story. Because Jason was a caring human being, a loving human being, was a stellar son and father. And he was exceptional. So exceptional to the point that when he would come to my house and just simply wash his car, uh, he could have come. He could have drove to his house and wash his car. But he would come to my house and use my water and drink my beer. But uh, and that was okay. But when he would do that, I, I remember in the months before the, him being killed, sitting in my garage, and you know, in times past, I would help him wash, wash his car, or do whatever he was doing. But I found myself just sitting in the chair with the garage door open and watching him wash his car and thinking to myself, this, this, he's unbelievable. And, and I'm actually his father. <laughs> this guy is somebody that, you know, I, people want to be around. They like him. They like him a lot. And, you know, I, I was felt honored to be his father. So when I, when I can, can remind the world that he lived, he contributed, he didn't, he didn't, there was no harm done. He never created any harm. All he did was do good. And he touched the lives of many people. I have, have had many, many people tell me, hey, I had a couple of people tell me I wouldn't have got through the police academy if Jason hadn't helped me. I wouldn't be a cop today. My dream, I wouldn't be a cop today if he hadn't helped me. I've had people tell me stories like that repeatedly. And that's the kind of guy he was, and I want people to remember that he walked this earth and, and who he was and the character that, that he had. So doing this allows that to occur, allows my memory, and it, and, it, and it brings things to the surface. And I remember, and I'll go home tonight, and I'll lay in bed, and, and things will rush through my head. And I'll remember things when he was small, when he was 15, when he was 25. And uh, no matter what those emotions bring, uh, even if I'm laying in bed sobbing, as I do many and many a night, that's a good thing because after that experience, I feel a little bit better. And every time it occurs, I feel a little bit better. And, uh, and so I thank both of you guys for that. I know um, I thank you, be- too. Yeah, we thank you, uh, Chuck, for really sharing uh, the story. And um, I got to feel a little bit more now that I know Jason. I have to speak with okay. Jay a little bit about it. But, you know, part of why we do this is exactly what you just said at the end here we want to do everything we can in our power at law enforcement today myself john jay uh jim mcniff and everybody else that volunteers and helps law enforcement today so these fallen heroes and that's what they are fallen heroes are never forgotten and uh, we want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story Yep, I, thank you guys. And I'd just like to add this one one little note, if I may. Absolutely. Um, it is no different in law enforcement than it is in the military. We have uh, a lot of organizations, the VFW, the AMVETS, the American Legion. Those are men and women that are helping, veterans helping veterans. And it's no different than police department or fire department. Those people gather around, we gather around, we close ranks, we help those in need that, that, that are like us and because we can identify with it. And, and we really appreciate each other when we do that. And that's the core of the Blue Valor Foundation. But I'd just like to say this. 
when somebody that is not directly connected to law enforcement volunteers to help, when they feel the emotion, when they when they're when the tear swells in their eyes, when you tell them the, the story, Jason's story or any any anybody's story, uh, the similar story, they get it and they and their values uh, are the same and. They're not although they're not necessarily uh, involved in it on a regular basis. They're in our they're in our corner. They are the ninety percent of the people that appreciate what we do, and they some of them are willing to come out and they're willing to donate their their money, their time, their effort, and 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 do whatever they can do and whatever they can contribute, they'll contribute. And to them, I say. Thank you and God bless you because because that's who we're doing this for. We're not just doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for our neighbors, for people we don't even know. That's who we. That's what law enforcement is all about. We're protecting. We're protecting the the innocent, and they appreciate it. They do because they do. They have supported uh, law enforcement in, in a big way, and we see it every day. And they, they do it sometimes in a very low-key way, and sometimes it's right out there for everybody to see, but they're there for us. And if it wasn't for, for those people that are not necessarily in, directly in law enforcement, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. Chuck, thank you so much. And i got to say this before we hang up on each other. I want to thank you for your service in the Marine Corps, but I really want to thank you for for the honor of serving with you in the Baltimore Police Department. And uh, I know we were only in academy together. We never worked side by side. But uh, those bonds go ov- over all these years, since 1980, 81. And it's an honor to have worked with such great people in that department. And please do a favor for us, your wife, Karen. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't remember Jason's wife's name. Uh, Erica. Please tell Erica, yep. the children, Karen, Anything we can do for you here at Law Enforcement Today, please do not hesitate to contact us and give us details about your next event for Blue Valor Foundation. We certainly will, Jay. And uh, Robert, uh, I thank both of you guys for the opportunity to uh, to talk about him because, uh, because it, again, it's very healing for me to do that. That was retired Baltimore City Police Sergeant Charles, we call him Chuck Snyder, a friend who known him since 1980. I, I got to say this. I really, really appreciate Chuck coming on and talking about these intimate details that, man, it can't be easy to talk about. I can't even imagine. And, you know, even to let his guard down, being an ex-Marine, you know, supposed to be even more tougher than You're going to get strangled by Marines for yeah. saying X. You know well, you don't I, say that. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. It's, uh, a, you know, saying I don't know the right words, but I don't officer. just say he's a Marine. That's yeah. all I say. Uh, you, you're absolutely 100% right. It's just, uh, I... I you know me, I'm just always in awe of these types of stories and the courage uh, that a father can have going through times which I can only imagine. Yeah. And he always, when we talk, he always talks about how important it is to him and his family to keep Jason's memory alive. The people be reminded that this was a man who not just was a police officer. And of course, we know nowadays in the media, they love the portray police as just this heartless cruel unfeeling people that do horrible things and that's nowhere near the truth he, he was a police officer he was a marine he was a father he was a husband he was a dedicated son and brother an activist community and just as he said a special guy he told me stories i won't go into details here that were very private right. about what a special guy he was how often do you hear a father say 
I not only do I admire my son, I wish I could be as good a man as him. I, I understand that. I, I truly, I do. I think that um, for most parents, they want their children to be a better human being right, than they are. Right. And some of us are lucky enough to experience that. And, and I get the idea where he said, I was just in my garage watching him wash the car, admiring that me being such a screw up, which is, he didn't say that, but me being through, going through the t- some troubling times in my life that I was able to father such a, a, a magnificent yeah. human being. And the thing is, Chuck is such a great squared away guy. So when you hear someone say those sort of things, it's just really profound. Yeah. Again, Blue Valor Foundation is the organization he works with. If you want to make a donation, they raise money to help support education for the children of fallen officers and it's run by some officers in baltimore county police department and uh it's a great organization google blue valor foundation and i'd be willing to bet if you want to do something like that in your neighborhood in your area your state or county they would be willing to give you information on how to go about doing it and uh it's just a, a phenomenal episode i'm so glad he volunteered and agreed to come on the air with us absolutely so, we are at a end of another great episode. We've got some great things happening. By the way, I don't think we've mentioned our app. No, not on this broadcast. No. Um, we haven't mentioned it on any broadcast yeah. because it's brand freaking new. Right. It's been around about, about a month now. So, if you haven't downloaded our app, it's free. It's a version for your Android and iPhone devices. You can do a search at Google Play or iTunes App Store. Or the easiest way is just go to our website, lawenforcementfailure.com. Download the app. Lots of great features. You can it's listen free. to this podcast and all our other podcasts right from the app. And we've got contests running on there continuously. There's a cool little feature called the fan wall. Uh, you, you, uh, you've been watching all the photographs going up there? What about the photo from the the officer, police officer in Alaska with a squad vehicle underneath the northern lights? It's awesome. Phenomenal. And, so people and we really appreciate those pictures, guys. Keep them coming. And in order to qualify for these contests, when you go to the fan wall, just register. Create an email address. Use your email address when we contact you and create a password. We'll be running contests continually from uh, law enforcement companies that support law enforcement, which right. is so important. Another cool feature I really like is this push notification. So I can send, everybody's got the app a message, it breaking news or a really cool offer or a news article or something had law enforcement today. It's just, I, I love this app. It's free, free, free. And as I always say, there's no better price than free. <laughs> there's no credit card info needed. We don't ask any of that stuff. Right. And, and most importantly, forget the free part, is you get to stay tuned and hear real news from real cops, the real story, not the watered down or Very fake biased news from we know who. Exactly. So, if you want to be a guest on a show, contact us. How do you do that? Contact myself, Robert, lawenforcementtoday.com, or my buddy Jay at lawenforcementtoday.com. Go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. The Contact Us page is all the way at the bottom. Just hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. Want to hear what you guys want to hear. We're all about bringing you what you want. It's not about us. It's about you. Send a message via Facebook. Uh, Just reach out and say hello. Same with suggestions, show topics, all that stuff. We'd love to hear from you. On behalf of Robert Greenberg, Jim McNeff, all the great people associated with law enforcement today, I'm John J. Wiley. Till next time. See ya.